Today's scripture reading is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 11. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed, blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Be to God. Thanks, Jenny. Um, I'm just going to go on on a limb just from the jump and just say it, I think, the way that it makes most sense to me. Sabbath keeping, for me anyway, has had the most profound and practical impact and therefore most transformational impact on my life living as a Christian. No other to-do that God has given and therefore that I have followed. I know there's many that I have not followed, but the ones that I have, of all the to-dos that God has given that I have followed, none of them have had the impact on my life, practically speaking, on a day-to-day, week-to-week kind of a thing, than this fourth commandment. I know, it's kind of bold, but I think it's true. I would put this one, for me anyway, right up there as the most important, right along with the first one. Because it's, just, it's completely shaped so much of what's happened in my life as a Christian. Which means if you're kind of following along, if you do not keep this one, then you might be missing out on something. Because for me, this was life transformational, right? Because the first one, right, taught me that God is the only one that's good enough for me. That he desires to be mine, totally and wholly. Why? Because no other person, no other thing, no other anyone, anything can bear the weight of being my God. Only he, therefore, only he will satisfy, right? I wasn't made just by God, but for God, right? And then God kind of takes it, and he says on the second one, he's like, I'm so good and holy that you can't make any other image of you. You have to have me and me alone in my fullness. And the last week, we learned that God, who values us and wants us, gives us his personal name, because he says, I want to know you on a first-name basis. I want to know you so intimately. I want to know you, like, real close. I want to have a relationship with you. And then this one, the fourth one, the reason why I think practically it just takes it up a whole notch is he just takes it way aside and he says, I need you, I want you, because I want you so bad to set aside one day of a week, 24 hours, to make it all about just me and just you. Hmm. The God of the universe, as you're just saying, in some ways desperately saying, I want you, I not need you, he doesn't need us, but I want you to make one day just for me, so that I can get to know you and you can get to know me. 
And so as I started following this commandment, this kind of happened in seminary, and my, one of my professors was uh, uh, teaching, the one that gave me this book, um, and it kind of just set my whole life like on just on a totally different trajectory. But as I was starting to learn and understand it, I realized the reason why this is so important, right, is because it, it tackles this all-important issue in my life. Click. Why we value what we value, and more importantly, how we measure our own self-worth. This commandment tackles at the heart why you and I value the things that we value and how you and I actually then measure our own self-value. Nothing else, in my estimation, shows us this more clearly than this commandment. And make no mistake, especially here in America, what you value, what I value, what we value, dictates, by and large, the way that you and I live day in and day out. Your life, my life, our life is molded and shaped around that which matters most to you. And the fourth commandment, God goes right for the punch and he says, the thing for most of us that we value most and therefore the way that we measure our own self-worth is through how successful we are at our work. Okay, let me break it down like this. Students in here, you measure your work you measure your worth, sorry. You measure your work through your GPA, your SAT score, your school rank, and the college you go to. Even for those of you who are blessed enough in here who are Asian and Korean, right, who don't have parents who constantly bombard you with, like, study harder, do better, why didn't you get 100, why did you get a 98, that kind of, you know, mess, like, you got to be top 10, so on and so forth. Even those of you who don't have, don't have parents like that, you're blessed, by the way, if you don't. Even you know inherently deep inside that your parents are happier if you do better, don't you? Even if they don't pressure you, you know that they're happier with you when you do well in your school. For the rest of us in post-grad, young adult career, whoever it is, for most of you, you measure yourself according to your job, even if your job is to be a parent, which is maybe the hardest job in the world. You measure yourself on the way, on the kind of job that you have, the company that you work for, the ranking within your company, your salary, your car, your homes, all of it a measure of how successful we are and how well we are doing. That's how you and I measure not only our worth, but the worth of others in here. Sociologists calls this phenomenon the human rat race, our incessant drive to do better and therefore be more valuable, which for many of us, if not most of us, is probably our biggest and most important false god that we place in the place of God. Tell me if this definition of the rat race hits the mark. Click. It says, any exhausting, unremitting, and usually competitive activity or routine, especially a pressured urban working life spent trying to get ahead with little time left for leisure, contemplation, etc. Our biggest false god, maybe, is perhaps our need to be valuable based on our work success. Therefore, our image of God is the successful and accomplished God, and we often disregard Yahweh who wants to know us, therefore, on a first-name basis because we are too busy simply trying to get ahead. Which then makes sense why this is the fourth commandment. That the way we keep from ruining our lives as we make work our worth is simply to keep the Sabbath day holy. Again, for me in the American church, 
the thing that's least often talked about is this topic, and the thing that most Americans do not do or do the least is this, and I think that's why our churches, in many ways, are the way that they are. So today, two simple questions. One, click, why Sabbath and how Sabbath? Two very simple questions, right? Why, why keep Sabbath, and how do we keep Sabbath? So let's jump right into the first one. Click, why Sabbath, okay? And there's four reasons, and the first one is this. Click, it is how you and I were made. Consider this, Isaiah 58, 13 through 14 will be on the screen. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of Yahweh honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, that's key, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in Yahweh and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Oh, please, oh God. And I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Clearly, Isaiah understands that if you want to live the life that God promises, a life of freedom, then you have to keep the Sabbath holy. And this is because the easiest and clearest way to figure out what you value most is simply to understand how you and I spend your time. If you want, you can go home and write out your week Monday through Sunday. And you can do the whole Excel spreadsheet thing if you know how to do that from you know, when you wake up to when you go to sleep. Or do the whole 24 hours and then catalog what you did this past week hour by hour and you'll figure out what's most valuable to you. If you don't think that you're obsessed with your phones, just go take a look at how much time you spend on it, then you'll know. If you don't think you're obsessed with YouTube, then just go see how much time you spent watching YouTube or whatever it is that you're doing. That's how you know. To put differently then, how we spend our time is the clearest indication of who or what our true God is. Hmm. Because everyone gets the same amount of time in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year, The question is, how do you spend it? And therefore, who or what is your true God? Again, go home, chart it out, and you'll figure it out. And so because God knows this, he then shows us in the fourth commandment a way to keep him as our one and only. And he says the way you do that is to keep the Sabbath rhythm, what my professor calls the six plus one rhythm. From the very beginning of time, God built into life, into creation, a rhythm of six plus one. Six days of work and one day of rest. And don't get it twisted. This is where our society has it wrong. We do the five days of work and two days of rest. No, God says six days and one. But it's also not seven days of work and no rest or any other combination. The combination, the rhythm is six days of work and one day of rest. It's built into the very fabric of us and the world. We run best on the six plus one. Get this, right? Click too much work with insufficient rest and you will burn out. Too much rest and not enough work and you will bore out. Hmm. Because we were made in part to work and accomplish. That's why many of you will get restless if you play too much. Some of you are like, nope, never, no. If If you were on perpetual summer break, you would just get bored. But without proper rest you will inevitably come crashing down without fail. Any other rhythm violates your inherent design that God has given you as his creator. If you don't believe me, just read the Old Testament. In Exodus 23, it's not on the screen, right? The people, Israel is told to rest on the Sabbath, 
And even the fields are supposed to rest every seventh year. I have a friend from seminary. She just posted on her Facebook. I know, old technology. But she just said her gardens and her entire house, because it's the seventh year of them living there, no garden for the entire year. And in Israel's tradition, they even take it one more, right? The, the, the year of Jubilee, which is the 49th year, which is the seventh times seventh year. Did you know in Israel's tradition that the year of Jubilee, every slave was freed? And every debt someone owed you was also canceled. That's how serious they took this Sabbath. Basically, if you could run away for 49 years, right? Or if you basically wanted to borrow money, you should have borrowed on the 49th year because then maybe they wouldn't have made you pay. That kind of thing, maybe. But it's our rhythm. It's how we were made. You need to take that seriously. Second reason, click. Our work is not and cannot be our worth. Did you know that no matter how good your work is, and I'm not sure what y'all think is good work. Maybe you think it's charity or advocacy or whatever that may be. Maybe you think it's pastoral work or whatever. It doesn't really matter. What, no matter what your work is and no matter how good you think it is, it is not and therefore cannot be your worth. Which means no matter what ministry you're involved in, that cannot be the determinant of your worth. Because click, the ultimate worth, our ultimate worth, is always found in a person, and that person is Yahweh, our God. Which means, if you do not find your worth in God, then you will, no matter what, take it to the bank, idolize your work, and then ruin your life in the process. Because no work no career, no job, no serving, no ministry can fulfill you the way that God can. Remember, you shall have no other gods before me. Only I'm good enough. And because work is not your ultimate value, then what God is telling you is that to keep the Sabbath is to get in touch with your eternal value. You know? Do you know that you have an eternal value? A value beyond what you have here? That no matter what you do, right, no matter what we do, God, our God, our Yahweh, who is eternally existent, values us and tells us that he wants a relationship with us, not just now, but forever. So much so that he's asking you, and to put it in like the most basic, I was, I was, I was, I was uh, tempted to title this, would you go on a date with me, please? Just once, every week, once a week. Set aside one day, he says, and make it mine for you and for me. For those of you who think that no one values you, for those of you who think that no one wants you, for those of you who think that no one desires to spend time with you, let me tell you a fact. Our God of the universe wants to spend so much time with you, thinks you are so valuable, thinks that you are so worth it, thinks that you are so wonderfully and fearfully made that he wants you to set aside one whole day so that you can spend it with him. That should go on your wall. Because I value, he says, because I give you your worth, because I am your God and I want to know you, set aside a day with me. Nothing is good enough but me. And the third why, click, Sabbath life equals the best life. Consider this quote, click, they, Sabbath keepers, speak of feeling treasured and protected. Just ask yourself this before I read this, or if you read alongside me, ask yourself if this is how you feel and this is how you understand yourself. And also, if you would like for you or other people to understand you like this, okay? They, Sabbath keepers, speak of feeling treasured and protected. Their character is deeper. Hmm. Their ideas are fresher. 
Their spirits are softer, their courage greater, their leadership stronger, their concerns broader, their compassion more genuine, their convictions more concrete. They, Sabbath keepers, have joy in their difficulties and wisdom beyond their years. I don't know a single human being on, on the planet who wouldn't want that to be their like, ID descriptions. See, by this definition, Sabbath keepers are like rare birds or like an endangered species. Because in Moses' time until all the way till now, there just haven't been that many. Which means that when you spot one, you will know because they simply stand out. In the middle of the rat race that we're all running, Sabbath keepers seem unaffected because they march to the beat of their God-given six plus one drumbeat. And all the while, everyone else is just exhausted, weary, tired, burnt out from all the running around like hamsters do in a wheel. But the real reason, in my opinion, Sabbath life is the best life is because of the next why, the fourth one, click. Sabbath is the only way to know God fully. Now, I'm going to read you this really long quote. It goes back to the beginning. It's by a theologian by the name of Ronald Wallace. It's really long, but I want you to really listen here because this, to me, is it. If this, for you as a Christian, if you call yourself one, doesn't move your soul and want you to keep Sabbath, then I don't know what will. So go back to the beginning of creation and imagine this with me, okay? And this is Ronald Wallace. He says this. After each day's work, God, click, he pauses, stands back, and collects himself again, looks with careful judgment on what he has accomplished, which is a lot, and he pronounces it good. Then on the seventh day, after God has completed all these things, he's made man, we read, that God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made, Genesis 2.2. This picture of God pausing and resting from his work reminds us that God has given a limited amount of himself. Catch this. God has given a limited amount of himself to the task of making and upholding the heaven and the earth. God is free, therefore, from what he has made. He has kept his real self apart from creation. This is why nothing in creation can image him, remember? Right? He has kept his real self apart from creation in such a way as to be able to look upon his creatures rejoice over them, and relate himself in complete freedom to them in a new and a fresh way, a way to which he had not yet given expression in his creative activity. That the Lord rested on the seventh day means that he has not allowed the activity of the days of creation to exhaust him or bind him, and he has limited creation purposely. He made us different from him on purpose, which means he has something to say that could not be said in the work of the six days. Something to give that is not yet given through all the enthusiasm and the wealth he has put into his world in creating it. This day is special because he's not given all of himself. There's something in this day that's special to him. He continues, I will put a Sabbath day at the heart of the order of things in this universe, and I will bless this Sabbath day weekly as it comes around. And on this day, I will communicate to man my own Sabbath rest. And on this day, I will truly share with him that which is in myself, which I have kept back so far from creation. And on this day, I will come near as the God of rest, joy, and freedom, whose delight is to give rest, joy, and freedom before myself. And then he says this. Listen to me as I draw near to speak. 
and respond to me as I draw near to offer you my fellowship and seek this day to draw you to myself. Cease from your absorption in creation and look up and take from me that which cannot be found in the routine and rhythm of earthly life and with its toil and rest, its work and play. Now, I know that's a lot, but let me just break it down for you because this is so utterly huge. Because what this is saying is this. Because God created for six days and rested on the seventh, he purposely reserved a part of himself, a portion of his character, a portion of his love, a portion of his goodness, a portion of his joy, a portion of all of himself that he will give purposely to only those who set aside a day for him to enjoy it. Which means that no matter, even if you did everything that God wanted you to do, to the T, which we can't do, I know, but even if you did, just hypothetically think, even if you kept everything to the T, but did not keep Sabbath, you're getting maybe 90% of what God is offering. But that last 10%, I know the numbers are arbitrary, you will never get if you do not keep the Sabbath. Hmm. You're getting gypped. Which means, if you want the fullness of God and therefore the best life, the only way to do it 100% is to keep the Sabbath holy, period. No negotiation, no difference, period. End of story. When I heard that in seminary, my head went spinning. And I said, what, 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 how, what, how, how? right? Because all of us think we don't have enough time for that. In seminary, I was taking a full course load in grad school. I was a full-time youth pastor at a church, right? My, uh, my son Mason had just been born. Like, my life was a tizzy. It was just crazy. And here I'm thinking, going like, holy moly, I don't take Sabbath. When do I take Sabbath? I work all Sunday. So that means another one of the days of the week, I got to take Sabbath, but I don't take it. So what in the world is going on? I was just, and I had to know. And so I asked. And then I started, and then it changed my life. So the second question, then how Sabbath? Well, first, we got to discover when Sabbath. Click, it'll be on the screen. Quickly, right, going over it. So don't, don't yet, not yet. Sabbath is on the first Sunday. I mean, Sabbath is on Sunday, which is the first day of the week, which is different from the Israelites who observed it on the seventh, Saturday, right? And the reason for this is simple, and I won't go into it too much. And it's because the reason why we, celebra- we celebrate Sabbath on a Sunday is because it's the first day of the week, and it's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. It inaugurated a new life, a new creation, and a new, well, everything. The focus of the entire world shifted from the seventh day, which is what the Israelites did, which is when God rested, to the first day, which is why we celebrate on Sunday. This quote hopefully will be helpful to you. Right? For those of you who are wondering when you take Sabbath, I recommend to all of you, other than Pastor Goose and I, right, that you take it on Sunday because you do not have to work on this day. But this is what G.K. Chesterton says. He says, the friends of Christ, click, coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. But even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. And in a semblance of the gardener, God walked again in the garden in the cool, not in the evening, but in the dawn. Keep your Sabbath day holy on this day, your Sunday. So then now, how? Well, simply, if you click, keep it holy. Notice the command. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Not make it holy or regard it holy or understand it as holy, but keep it holy. 
And if you've been with us for a little bit, you know that we learned that the word holy, right, means to be set apart, to be other than, to be distinct. So keep the Sabbath day, this Sunday day, set apart, distinct, unique, other than the other days of the week. Set aside this day. Do no work or anything that remotely feels like work. God is so critical about this Sabbath day keeping. Did you notice in the scripture? He said, even when a visitor comes to visit with you, don't let that person do any work on the Sabbath day. That's serious. So that you can enjoy that which God only wishes to give you when you set aside this day. Our God, Yahweh, who wants to know you so bad, who himself has made and established this day holy, right? He made this day holy. He's saying, you need to keep it that way and enjoy me on the day that I want to enjoy it with you. It's why if you're a Christian and you don't go to church on Sundays or don't gather with a group, if you have that opportunity, it's really difficult being one. But then you might ask, well, Pastor Pete, how then do I keep it holy? Like actually do this? Well, click first two don'ts. One, don't create rules. And secondly, don't just rest and relax. Don't just create rules, right? But maintain a posture is what I say. Did you know the Jews, back in the day, they were so stringent on this, they made rules for keeping the Sabbath law, 1,521 of them to be exact. And the rules had the exact opposite effect. They just drained the life out of everything in the Sabbath day people. If you read the scripture, particularly the Gospels, the reason why Jesus gets in so much trouble is because he breaks Sabbath law. That's like their biggest thing. They had this stupid law that you couldn't take your ox and then walk it a certain distance, and then untie it with two hands, and then feed it water, because that was work. You had to only walk a certain distance with one hand, untie the thing with one hand, and then give it water, and apparently that was okay. Like, it was so stupid. You couldn't walk more than, I forget the number, like some 3,000 feet in a Sunday, or you would have done work, or so on and so forth, because they're all like farmers and things of that nature, like back in the day. They, that's what they did, but they completely missed the point. And the second one is don't just rest and relax. And let me tell this to the modern people, us just because you take the day off or you just rest, a.k.a. sleep, doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you kept Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath day holy isn't the sleep in and do nothing commandment. There's way more to it than that. I know. Getting up for church is so hard. I know. But it's not, is it? Then, practically speaking, if you don't do these things, then we finish the five verbs of Sabbath keeping. And I organized that so that the first three are what you do before you get to Sabbath Sunday, and the two are what you do during the Sabbath Sunday. And we're going to get really practical here. And here's my, here's my encouragement, my challenge to all of you. You need to learn to do these. Right outside the sanctuary here on that table, I put some uh, fake flowers over there so that you know you can't miss it. There's some hard copies of the quotes that we use today and these five verbs. You can pick them up. I only printed 50 because most of you don't take them, but that's okay. If you want a digital copy, it'll be on the YouTube link uh, when it comes up. But if you want more, I can get you one. But practice these five verbs. And before I tell you them, let me just tell you the story of what happened to me, and then we'll kind of get into it. I told you, when I was in seminary, um, I was in class, and then my professor was talking about this. And the things that he was talking about today, just things that we went over, right? The, the fact that God gives you his life that you can't get anywhere else and there's this you know, best life and all these things. And I remember my heart was jumping out of my chest and going like, I want that, how do I have that? So immediately right after class, I went right up to him and I told you I had a full-time job as a pastor, right? I had a full-time course load, 12 credits in grad school. I had 
a baby, Mason was, I forget how old Mason was, um, I can't remember anymore, I think he was like barely, not even one, right? My life was full. And when he was telling me that you had to take 24 hours in a week and set it aside and do no work and do nothing for God, I was like, yo, that's insane. But because I couldn't, I couldn't, I had this thing, I had to do it, I went up to him and I was like, okay, Daryl, that's his name, how do I do this? And I explained to him my situation, of course, because Daryl is so nice, he goes, oh my, you're so busy. And I was like, yeah. He's like, how do I do this? And he's like, well, you're probably thinking and wondering and probably decided that taking 24 hours is probably not feasible. And I was like, yeah, 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 you're right about that. So then he goes, then how about you then take 15 minutes in between major things that you do. Go somewhere alone and just spend 15 minutes with God and say, for these 15 minutes, God, I'm just going to chill and relax. He didn't use those words. Those are my interpretations of it. And so immediately before I got on the, back in those days, I lived in like, it'd be like a living here and then going to like college station for, for school. I, I had to get on a bus and a, and a SkyTrain thing to get all the way home. It took an hour and a half. Before I got on, I went outside, could do a little like atrium garden thing, and I just spent 15 minutes. I timed it, 15 minutes, and then I just did nothing. I stopped, put my back down. I didn't talk to anyone. I just sat there, and I didn't even pray the whole time. I was just still and rested. Then I went home, and I did it again. And then the next morning, I woke up, and I was like, I have to do more. This is not enough. And so I just looked at my schedule and I thought, where can I carve out 24 straight consecutive hours of doing nothing? And I looked at it and I realized that I had a class Wednesday from 9.30 to 12.30 and then have a class again until Thursday at 2.30. So I was like, oh shoot, Wednesday 12.30 to Thursday 12.30 is the only 24 hour slot that I have. And I said, whatever, F it, I'm gonna do it. And I did it. I know. People were like, are you crazy? My friends thought I was committing suicide, like academically and all sorts of stuff. That semester, up until that point in my life, I had never been that successful, that time management good. That year in my, my Hebrew class, that semester, you know what my average was? I'm not bragging, it's just, it wasn't that good the previous semester, it was 99.7. Hebrew, it was really hard. I had speaking engagements and I did them all. I went on a date every single Tuesday with my wife, Christina. It was such a good semester. And from then, I've just kept Sabbath. Sorry for this term religiously. I just never have wavered from this. But let me give that, give that to you as a backdrop so that you can then practice these things just as a way of encouraging you. Five verbs. First, desire. Number one, desire the Sabbath rest. Ask yourself this question. Is this Sabbath life the life that I want? Is it? Or are you okay? Are you satisfied with the life that you're living? More importantly, do I desire to have this intimacy with God that he promises only on the Sabbath rest? Do I desire to have God be my worth? Do I desire for Jesus to satisfy me? Do I desire to get to know Yahweh really, truly on a first name basis? And if the answer to these questions are yes, and ask yourself these questions, then you move on to the second verb, which is to decide. Decide to obey. Decide to trust. As you desire Yahweh, decide that you are going to listen to him and do the things that he has taught you. Decide to keep the six plus one rhythm. Again, this will change your week. This means that you need to do something differently. Decide that that's the best rhythm, not five plus two, four plus three, whatever it is. For those of you who have weird working schedules, like I'm, I'm looking at the health professionals in here who work three 12-hour shifts and you have four days off, you got to figure out how to work your schedule around so you're keeping the six plus one rhythm. Decide then to set aside this day as a unique, holy, and different day dedicated to God and his people, 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 myself, and creation to do what it takes to make this happen. you got to decide that. No one's going to do it for you. 
You can't walk out of here and just be like, oh, that was a good sermon. I don't want to hear, Pastor Pete, that was a good sermon. Thank you. I don't want to hear that because it doesn't really matter if you thought it was good if you don't do these things. I'm just being honest. Desire and then decide. And then thirdly, change. Change the routines. And this is where things get quite practical and quite like you can't fake the funk on this one. You got to change your routines. Ask yourself, how do I establish a true six plus one rhythm? Students in here, I've said this to you all along. It means you have to get all of your studying and all of your homework done by Saturday night. Which means that Saturday is not a day you can just do nothing. Saturday is a study day. It's a homework day. It's a work day. It's not a play day. Sorry to break it to you. It's just the way it is. But no work on Sundays. Don't bring it. Don't think about it. I'm going to get in trouble for this comment, but I, I think it's worth making here. If you know, our church has Korean school, and the Korean school teachers and everyone, they do a wonderful job. Korean school here at our church is fabulous in terms of the content, what they teach you. I think they do so well. But everyone asks us every single year why my kids are not in Hangarakyo, why my kids aren't in Korean school. And our answer is the same. It's not because it isn't good. It's not because it isn't worthy. It's not because they aren't doing a great job. But it's because simply on Sunday for me to put my kids in Korean school is to make them do work which means I have failed in my responsibility as a father to protect my children who do not make those decisions from not doing work on this day. So don't bring it. Then working people, you gotta get all your work done, all your bills, all your chores, all your emails, all your prep for your Sunday teaching, all your prep for everything, meal prep for Monday, right? It's gotta be done by Saturday. You gotta clean the house, do whatever it takes. In my house, all the laundry and all the house cleaning gets done by Saturday because I refuse and I do not allow cleaning to be done in my house. And if you think that's ridiculous, you have to know my wife and my mother-in-law, they are cleaning Nazis. To them, cleaning is their worth. A messy house means that they haven't done their job as human beings. So on Sunday, I don't allow it. Everything's got to be done by Saturday night. If it doesn't get done, then it's not getting done on Sunday. Forget it. It means that every single one of you in here has got to get into bed at a certain time on a Saturday night so that you can wake up on Sunday and enjoy the day. You're not setting aside a day for God if you wake up at 1 or 2 or 3. Your whole day has just been gone. Don't fake the funk. Don't get it twisted. You know what I mean? Praise team in here. I've said it before. Maybe you don't actually practice on Sundays. Just a simple sound check. Get together at 9. Set up, sound check. And then take maybe 15 minutes. And then fellowship. Eat, chill, and commune for 45 minutes. Enjoy one another. Enjoy God. Teachers meetings. I've long said this to Goose and everyone else. I long for the day where we don't have to have a 45-minute teachers meeting. Where we can just get together in a huddle. Pray for your people. And then go and then serve. Why? Because all the prep was done. I long for a day when we can meet together for one, like three hours and once a month. So we can get all of that work done on that Saturday. So we don't got to do it on Sunday. So that we are keeping your Sabbath day holy as pastors. Change the routines and your rhythms. Look at your week. Decide to do all that you can do to completely set aside this day to enter communion with God, one another, self, and creation. It's like going on a date. It's like me going on a date with my wife, Christina, and saying, baby, I've set this, honey, I've set this day aside for you. We're not doing nothing but you and me time, and then I take all my work. I take my email. I take my laptop. I take my Bible. I take all these things, and I'd like, we're in the middle of dinner. We order, and as soon as the menu's done, I put all my stuff out, and I go, yeah, sonny, I got to do this real quick. No. So then, after you desire, decide, and then change, the fourth one, you seek. 
Be intentional in seeking Yahweh and loving Yahweh this one day more than any other. This is not on your screen, but Isaiah 55, 6 says, and you will seek me and you will find me. And when you search for me with all of your heart, is that what you're doing this day? How many of your brains are outside of this room wondering what you're going to be doing afterwards? That's by definition not seeking Yahweh, seeking something else. Sorry. This is also why I've asked for no cell phone, no Instagram, no social media, no gaming environment here at church, because you are not seeking the Lord if that's what you're doing. Let me just put it to you, junior high kids, whoever, all of you. If you want more respect, if you want to actually be taken seriously in some ways, then actually take yourself seriously. The reason why I won't ever walk up to you and be like, stop playing those games, because it's not my life, it's yours. But you bring all that stuff, then your attention isn't on Yahweh, and you're missing out on the Lord of the universe who wants to know you in such a way then you get your worth by so many other things and not from the Lord. It's on you, not on anyone else. It's not about rules. I don't care about rules. You can do whatever you want. That's why I say, if you don't want to listen to me, if you want to sleep, then go sleep somewhere else. That's why I say, if you want to come in here and you think I stink or you think that this is terrible, that's fine. I don't mind. But just don't bother somebody else from doing it because then that's really unloving. Seek the Lord. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Jesus says, right? Seek him because you will then get your worth and your value from God by doing so. And then this is when we address the all-important question I've asked many times. What about all of us who serve on Sundays? How is it Sabbath? You're making us work. Well, if Sabbath meant sleeping in and lounging, don't go nowhere and just bum out, then yeah, Sundays, your Sundays, for those of you serving here, would be very problematic. But if Sabbath is to intentionally set aside a day to seek God and find intimacy with him, then you cannot do so if you are not serving someone else, at least in some way, shape, or form. The greatest commandment that sums up all the commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then what? Love the other more than you love yourself. My uh, pastor friend, D.L., said it this way, and I'll never forget this message. He said it's like a horse race, right? It's a photo finish. Loving God literally ekes by like one hair, right? And then only in the photo finish, at that still shot, the loving God finishes first, and then loving others, like right there, like this much undiscernible to the naked eye. That's how. Acts of mercy, serving others, is a way to draw deeper intimacy with Christ. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 25 that when we, right, meet the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, and the sick, we're doing that to Jesus. Set aside this day to seek him, to love him and one another the way that Jesus loves us, right? John 13, he says, I, the new commandment I have for you, love one another. That's love y'all in here. Church folk, love the church folk in here the way that I have loved you. That's one way you keep Sabbath. Now, let me just say this before we go on, and we'll get to the last verb, and then the praise team will come up soon. Pastor Goose and I, we've been talking about this for a long time, and our commitment to all y'all is who serve, is to try to keep this day to the minimum so that you aren't doing any work and you're just serving. It's why the teacher's meetings I want to cut down if we can it's why the only things we'll, we'll have after service is my promise to you, and if I don't, you can come yell at me, is to try to have member town halls where we have to have like 40 people, people in the same room. It's really difficult. New fam lunch, right? When we have new people coming and we need to serve them and love on them, right? And then membership. That's it. Everything else on a Sunday afternoon should be free. So for those of you who serve, you'll come a little bit before service. You'll do your service. You'll serve on others, love people, make this room and make this place a wonderful place for people to worship. And then every once in a while, you have something to do after service, but most of the time, you're free to go and enjoy this day to do the fifth verb, which is to celebrate. This is my favorite part. 
You celebrate Jesus. You celebrate what he has done on the cross and the empty grave. This day is to remind us that God went to the grave and got up and said, Death, you ain't got nothing on me. I get to live my life the way that I want to because, Death, you ain't nothing but the past. Israel called Sabbath a feast, a day of rejoicing. So find ways, creative ways, to make this day a festive day. I'm going to brag a little bit about my wonderful wife, Christina. She bakes something every Saturday night for her DG. She's been doing this for three years to make this day special, and the people in it feel very special. We try to plan out on Sunday nights, celebratory meals. One thing that we do, even though I love to cook so much, I don't ever cook on a Sunday. Why? Because that's work in some ways, so we just go out. We'll budget our money so that we can go out on a Sunday and just really go for it. For those of you who like wine, the older people in here or whatever, bust out the really nice bottle of wine. My professor used to literally get out just the fancy china every single Sunday to celebrate it. Whatever it takes. Because Sunday is the day we celebrate when Jesus rose from the grave. So every Sunday should be like Christmas. Every Sunday should be like Easter. We are celebrating our salvation from death and sin and beginning of a new and everlasting life. It's worth celebrating. Now, celebration doesn't mean that you cannot weep or that you should not weep. And therefore, that is appropriate too. Because we celebrate in the midst of a broken world. But the Sabbath reminds us that God's victory over sin and death is greater, that there's a cross and an empty tomb. And maybe this is the key to everything. Remember, I said in the beginning that the reason why the church is the way that it is is because we don't keep Sabbath. Because I think if you know our world, I think you know, including us, for those of you who are unsure or on the fence or whatever it is that you're doing with your faith, we know at the bottom of our hearts that we will not be won over to Jesus by coercion, force, or guilt tripping. Right? That people will want to enter this life of Christ and therefore enter into relationship with the one who gives life, Yahweh, when they realize how much you and I as Christians are enjoying the fullness of God and the life he wants to give. If people see your Christian life and think it sucks, guess what? They're not going to have nothing to do with this. I promise. Why would anyone want to follow Christ if the Christians who are just like everyone else, if the Christians are running around this rat race, incessantly tired and never having any energy, when God who creates all things into being by speaking, the one who says that he's the only one good for us, the one who says, I want you to know me on a first name basis, tells us that he wants us to separate one day so we can go on a very intimate and personal date with him. So set aside a date for me and I will make your life something you've never known before. How will the world know that Christ is worth it if you and I aren't taking the time to enjoy him? Hmm? If ever you saw my wife and I walking around and we just looked so bored and so dead all the time, you'd be like, yeah, they don't love each other. You would know that. Will you set aside this day as I invite the praise team? Keep it separate. This day's got to look different than the rest of the six days of the week. So will you practice these five verbs? Again, there's a sheet out there if you want to take it. If, you, if we run out, then I can make you more. Will you practice these practically? Will you actually practice these verbs? Will it not just be words you hear and then that filter out of your mind 15 minutes from now? Will you actually do them? Again, I printed the quotes and the five verbs out there so that you can maybe take it and actually remind yourself. 
If you know me, Sabbath is one of the most strictest things. If you know me from Sunday night to Monday night, aka Tuesday morning because I sleep Monday night, I don't look at my phone, I don't look at my computer, I don't check anything, I don't do any work. None. You will not reach me. You cannot find me. Well, you can find me. I live in my house, but you know. Many people know if they want to reach me and it's really emergent, you know what they do? They call my wife. And then she goes, honey, do you want to take this? And I go, no. Or if it's really emergent, then I take it, like a life-death kind of a thing. And Sabbath for me, and this is really important, because all of us want to be good at what we do. All of us want to be known as good at what we do. All of us want to be liked because of what we can offer and what we can do for what we want. But every Monday reminds me that I'm just Pete, and that's okay. The Lord of the universe does not love me because I do great work for him. He loves me because he loves me and he's made me. And everything else, the rest of the week, I go at it for six days and I go hard six days. Why? Because I know he loves me, not because of what I do. So 24, Monday, every Monday, it's kind of like a challenge. God, do you still love me? Of course he does. Nothing. And then on this day, that Monday, he makes me feel so secure and so loved and so held and so beloved because in my pajamas and in my cutoff or whatever, no shower, sometimes I don't brush my teeth until two, I know that's nasty, but then he still loves and he cherishes me and he still does things. Will you set aside this day, this Sabbath day, keep it holy for he's made it holy and enjoy a part of him that you cannot find any other way. Let us pray and respond in song. Father, we thank you. We give you praise that you want to know us this way and that you indeed are asking that we would set aside a day just for you. But that's how much you want us. So help us to do so. Help us to filter, change, desire, seek everything and celebrate you this day so that we can enjoy it to your glory and for our own good. We give you thanks that you are this God and help us to respond to you in song. Help us to shout aloud to celebrate that you are God and that you love us and that we somehow get to love you. We give you thanks and we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and join us as we sing and respond.